0: If you have a Bible this morning, You can uh, open it up to Psalm 71, Psalm 71. Uh, There's also a Bible app on your live stream, and so you can stroll to that as you're doing that. If you're new around redemption, my name is Stephen. Uh, We do believe that the Bible is as relevant today as it's ever been, and so that's why we're going to look and study it this morning. Psalm 71 was written by King David near the end of his life, and it was at a time when he was looking back and reflecting upon, in his words, the truth troubles and calamities that he had faced, and David faced a lot of them. we will reference in the text that he began to face those as a youth, and he faced them pretty much his entire life. So if anyone knew about God's faithfulness in the midst of trouble and calamity, it was King David. And he writes in this psalm what he had learned in it and on the other side of it. And so we're gonna look and see what David has to teach us in the midst of these days. We're in Psalm 71, Psalm 71. The first words are this, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. And so David's gonna declare right at the beginning of the Psalm where it is that he's going to find his protection. And for David, he didn't really mean physical protection. He meant emotional, spiritual protection, where it was that he was going to turn in the midst of trouble and calamity. And he says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Now, this word refuge is somewhat used in common vernacular, uh, but not commonly. We don't use it frequently. It's all over the scriptures. Christians use the word refuge or God is my refuge a lot. Well, what does the word mean? The word refuge means an impenetrable fortress, It is to symbolize a place that the enemy doesn't have access to. A refuge uh, is uh, like something built around us, a shelter where the enemy can't get in. The enemy has no access to me when I am refuged in the Lord. Now for us is. Uh, Christians on this side of the cross, we say that our refuge is in Jesus. We're covered in Christ, which means enemies have no access to us when we're in Christ. What enemies? Let me give you a couple of them shame, guilt, fear. These are enemies to the Christian soul uh, that when we're properly in Christ, they have no access to us. Now, it's not to say that the Christian never feels shame, uh, never feels guilt, or never feels fear. It just means that when we do feel shame, guilt, or fear, we've stepped out of the refuge that we have been given. Isaiah calls the news of Jesus Christ the happy news of the gospel. And so today, let me remind us all of some very happy news. The happy news is the gospel. The happy news is that Jesus took all of our shame upon himself on the cross. The happy news is that Jesus took our guilt upon himself on the cross. The happy news is that Jesus conquered death coming out of the grave, and that we now, in Christ, aren't given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of the king. Shame is this uh, feeling of dirtiness, that somehow we're not good enough for God because of our sin. Guilt is the weight of burden of saying, I need to do something now to make things right because I've done wrong. And so now I need to work hard so that God will be pleased with me again. What do Christians do? They refuge themselves in the love and the grace of Jesus, in the goodness of the gospel. They remind us what? As a Christian, I don't need to sense shame. Jesus took all the shame on the cross There is no condemnation. As a Christian, I don't need to feel a weight of guilt that I need to earn my way back to God. Jesus did all of the work on the cross. And then maybe most relevant today as a Christian, I don't need to fear. Why? Why don't I need to fear as a Christian? Because according to the Apostle Paul, I haven't been given a spirit of fear. I've been given a spirit of power. And I am a son or a daughter, woman, a daughter of the king. And so we're to remind ourselves of our sonship, our daughtership in God. His power is a refuge for us. Now, David speaks of this refuge. He says, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. I'm continuing on in 71. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. He says, to which I may continually come. How much can we run back to Jesus? How frequently can we run back to Jesus when we start feeling shame or guilt or fear again? Not once a day, not once a week, continually so what does the Christian do when they realize that these enemies of shame or guilt or fear have begun to get access to them? They run back to Jesus and they refuge themselves inside the gospel of his goodness, his love, his grace, and his power again. So this week, when I have felt fear, when, when those thoughts have started to prevail my mind and my heart, what do we do, Christian? What do you do? You run back and you, say, you realize I've stepped out of the refuge. Now I'm going to step back into it. We've all seen the funny memes right now of the people walking around in the massive bubble because they're afraid of the germs and they've created their little refuge away from all the germs. We've, uh, of course, know right now the, uh, you know, we have to wash our hands before and after we wash our hands, right? We hand sanitizer. We're continually cleaning ourselves. That's what I'm getting at over and over. We keep running back to the sink. We've got to keep running back to the refuge. Whenever shame, whenever guilt, whenever fear pop up, we run back to Jesus. We refuge ourselves again inside of the gospel. Now, when we do that, David shows us that an incredible thing happens. In verse five, he says it this way. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. David references his youth there. He's going to do it a few more times. He's going to say, upon you I have leaned from before my birth, You are ye, he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. He says, you are my hope and you are my trust. And so whenever David is saying that the Lord is his hope and the Lord is his trust, then he's therefore saying that none of the other things that I could put my hope or my trust in are my hope or trust anymore. Only the Lord is my hope and only the Lord is my trust. What is hope? Hope is the belief that tomorrow is better than today. What is trust? Trust is the confidence in the thing that will get me to that better day. And David is saying, my hope, my trust, my belief that tomorrow is better than today, my trust, my confidence that I will get to that day is in the Lord. Why do I believe that it is better tomorrow than today? Is it because of the market? Is it because of the stability around me? Is it because of my job? Is it because of all of you? No, David says, my hope, my trust is in the Lord. Perhaps over the last week, there's been news or feelings that have made you wonder about where your hope and your trust comes from. Well, remember, you don't have to feel shame and guilt if you're in Christ. You're refuged in his love and his grace. So remember these words of Paul. He is faithful when we are faithless. Remember the father who screamed out, help my unbelief. And so if you have felt your faith faltering at all in these last few days, ask the Lord to help your unbelief. He is faithful when even our faith falters. Place your hope and your trust, your belief that the future is better than the present, your deep confidence in him and him alone. Now, when we do this, look what happens, David says. David says, when our hope and trust is in him, verse 7, he says, I have been as a portent to many. What a weird word, portent. It means a miracle. It means a a wonder. Let me continue on. Verse 7, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. He's old at this point. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. David is saying this. I've gone through so much trouble and calamity in my life. I have seen it all. There was the bear and the lion when I was a shepherd. There was Goliath uh, when I came and visited my brothers. There was King Saul throwing spears at my head. There was being constantly on the run, constantly afraid. Uh, There was when he became king, sin his own heirs that caused despair to sweep his nation. There was betrayal by his own children. David knew calamity. David knew trouble. But he looks in and he says, "People think I'm a wonder, and the reason they think I'm a wonder is because I'm still here. Because his faith never failed, because he kept on going. Because he didn't falter. He didn't falter. He was a miracle. Why? Because his hope and his trust was in the Lord, and the Lord alone. Friend, what's my prayer for you in this season right now? That you would be like a wonder. That people would look and say, how are you holding on to faith? How are you not more afraid? How are you not more worried? How is it that you're still believing? Not because of your strength, but because you've seen the faithfulness of God over and over again. David continues by saying this, He says, oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May be the covered who seek my hurt. He says, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. How does David face trouble and calamity? By saying, I'm gonna worship God more and more. My my worship's not gonna pause in this moment. It's not gonna stop. It's gonna increase. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. David says, no matter the trouble, no matter the calamity, no matter the height, the depth, or the width of it, I'm just going to keep praising God. I'm going to keep worshiping him. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to scream out how good he is. I'm going to tell of his faithfulness. I'm going to let other people know how good he is. And I'm just going to keep believing In the God before the calamity, during, and after. Verse 20 and 21. And then David gives us two promises of God. A couple weeks ago, I preached on Abraham and Isaac. One of the things I said in that sermon was, we have to speak faith into the promises of God. Friends, now is not the time to stop speaking faith. Now is the time to speak more faith into the promises of God. And so in uh, verse 20 and 21, David gives us two promises, two promises that I want us to speak faith into during this season, individually, as a family, as a church, and as a nation. Verse 20, David shows us the first promise of God. And now these promises come out of trouble and calamity. Verse 20, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. David says, Lord, I know you're sovereign and I know you're in control and I have learned to refuge myself in you. And the troubles and the calamities, they have come. But you will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. This word, you will revive me again, particularly you will revive me again out of the trouble and the calamity. A few things this word means. The first thing this word revive means is remain. He's saying, I will Remain. David is saying, in the trouble and the calamity, I will remain. The Gospel of John is going to say it this way. I will abide in Christ. In the middle of it, I will abide in Christ. David would say, before the calamity, I remain faithful. During it, I remain faithful. After it, I remain faithful. Though you attack, though you come at me, though the enemies want to break into the refuge and they want to gain access where they're not supposed to gain access, I remain in Christ. I remain with faith. I remain with hope. I remain with trust. I will remain. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can remain. Yes, you can. He is faithful when we are faithless. Remain in Christ. Remain in him right now. Abide in Jesus. The second thing this phrase revive means is to re-energize. To re-energize. Now, this uh, seems oxymoronic. It seems impossible. It seems the opposite. But David is saying, in the midst of the trouble and the calamity, I will be re-energized by the Lord. In particular, it means re-energized out of sickness, out of despair, or out of discouragement. And David is saying, in the midst of sickness, despair, and discouragement, you're going to re-energize me. You're going to re-energize my faith. You're going to re-energize my hope. You're going to re-energize my thinking. You're going to re-energize my spirit. You're going to lift me back up, Lord. When I want to quit, when I want to give up, when I want to abandon faith, when I want to ship it out, you're going to re-energize my soul. How did Jesus re-energize? Through prayer. Through prayer. Our president declared today as a national day of prayer, not as a symbolic gesture, but as a reminder that prayer re-energizes the soul the soul of an individual, the soul of a family, and the soul of a nation. And so we join today not in, uh, in some symbolic gesture. No, we, we join today because we remember that prayer is how our soul is re-energized. So let me tell you one hope I have for you and our church in this, that we would commit ourselves to prayer unlike ever before that you would continually run back to the Lord in prayer when you feel like the refuge is breaking down, when the enemy has gained access, you run back in prayer and you be re-energized by the heavenly father, speaking his peace, speaking his love, speaking his grace, building the fortress back around you. The enemy does not have access to you. You are in Christ. Be re-energized prayer. The last thing this little word means here, he says, out of the depths of the earth, you will bring me back up. That bring me back up is like a refortification, like the city walls being rebuilt. Here's what gives me stability. Here's what I want to make sure for us is refortified in the midst of all of this. What brings stability in the midst of a trial? Family. Family. Redemption Church, we are a Family. And we have to be a family as much right now as we have ever been. And so this passage reminds us that part of God lifting us back up, refortifying us, is the strength of the church family. We've said from the beginning, church is not a building. If you don't believe me, go back and look two years ago. We said it two years ago. Some of you might think, well, we're not a church today. No, we can be as much of a church that Jesus came to plant today as we have ever been. In fact, in some ways, we could be more like it church is not a social club. What do you do at social clubs? You talk about how everything is fine. Everything is fine. Everything is great. Everything is good. You don't get to real issues. I can definitively look into uh, this stream right now and tell you everything's not okay right now. We don't have to pretend like it is. Everything's not okay uh, for the people who are worried about lost income. Everything's not okay uh, for people who have low immune systems and they're worried about catching the virus. Everything's not okay for children who are wondering, why aren't we allowed to go visit grandma and grandpa? Why aren't we allowed to do this? I mean, everything's not okay right now. But here's what we can do in the strength of a church. We can look and say, everything's not okay, but I have a refuge. Everything's not okay, but I know where my hope is. Everything's not okay, but I know where my trust is. Everything's not okay, but I'm going to keep worshiping. Everything's not okay, but I have a family, a church family that's surrounding me. Everything's not okay, but I don't have to fear. Everything's not okay, but I know where my eyes are going to stay fixed in the middle of it, Jesus. Jesus. And so in the midst of trouble and calamity, in the midst of it, we let God's spirit help us remain re-energize us, and re-fortify who we are as a church family. And here's the second promise. Here's the second promise David gives us. He says, verse 21, this is one of those verses that we go, is that okay? It's okay. It's in the Bible. Promise. You will increase my greatness. You will increase my greatness. David says, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of calamity, God, you will actually increase my greatness. You will expand it. You will enlarge it. You will multiply it. The apostle James, Jesus' half-brother, is going to say it this way. Consider up here joy, my brothers, when you face troubles or tests of any kind, because it will produce steadfastness, making you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And this is not the only time that God promises he will increase greatness. God said to Eve after the fall in the garden, you will increase, go forth and multiply. God said to Noah after the flood, you will increase, go forth and multiply. God said to Abraham when he left his homeland, you will increase, go forth and multiply. God said to Abraham after he uh, had to lay his son Isaac on the altar, you will increase, go forth and multiply. He said to Ishmael when he was abandoned in the desert. He said it to Jacob when he was wandering all alone, you will increase, go forth and multiply. And then the Apostle James says, consider it pure joy. In other words, you will increase, go forth and multiply. Now, here's what's most important here. This word greatness, what does it mean? It doesn't mean your fame. It doesn't mean your renown. It doesn't mean your personal grandeur. No, what all of those things meant and what this phrase means is that you will increase the reflection of God's glory off of you. Here's what this verse means, that in the midst of trouble and calamity, when we remain, when we're re-energized by God's Spirit, when we re-fortify as a church family, that we can look more like Jesus on the other side than we did before. That God increasing our greatness means that when we remain in Christ, in the refuge, in the midst of the trouble and the calamity, we look more like Jesus So I don't know what the world looks like in two weeks, but I know what I want to look like, I know what I want you to look like, and I know what I want our church to look like. More like Jesus, and more like the church that Jesus came to plant. Now, in order to look more like Jesus on the other side, we just ought to start acting like Jesus in the midst of it. And Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us how to face the trouble and calamity. And he didn't just teach us through language. He taught us through action. So Jesus had the refuge of God all around him. But Jesus went to the cross where the refuge was lifted and where the enemy was given access to him. And on the cross, with the refuge of God's protection lifted off of him, Jesus took on all of the shame and all of the guilt and everything that could cause fear and it all fell upon him. And he went to the depths of the earth. But what happened? He didn't remain there. And he wasn't just re-energized. He was resurrected. And so Jesus came out on the other side showing the power. Power over death. Power over fear. Friends, it is that power that we refuge ourselves in today. So we might as well act like Jesus in the midst of all of this. Loving our neighbor as ourself. Committing ourselves to the church family. Christians, Christians. When the world goes out, Christians go in. When the world says, hold, conserve, be in fear, Christians say, live lavishly and generously. Now is our chance, more than ever, to show what it means to be the church that Jesus came to plant, to be the family that he's called us to be. I want to pray. And as I pray, I want to pray in three waves. The first is for those of you who have never known The refuge of Jesus. You've never been covered in ish, you've never been covered from shame and guilt and fear. I wanna pray for you. Secondly, I wanna pray for our church family and any of us who feel like the refuge has been lifted, we've ran away from it, and we need to slide back into the refuge of God's protection. And then thirdly, I wanna pray for our nation that God would now shift this fear, this attitude that we've been experiencing. So wherever you're at, and whomever you're with, would you close your eyes now and join me in prayer? Let's pray. God, we pray first for those, of, for those who are listening who, who have never stepped into the refuge of Jesus. They still know shame and guilt and fear, but I have happy news for them. They don't have to feel those things anymore. And so Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, taking on the shame, the guilt, and the fear, rising victoriously, From the grave. Friend, if you're out there right now and you've never felt the release of your shame, guilt, and fear, embrace Jesus right now. Thank Him for dying on the cross for you, for taking your sin, and for resurrecting victoriously from the grave. Now let the refuge cover you. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that for each of us, we would be able to sit in the refuge to remain faithful, to be re-energized through prayer, and to re-fortify ourselves as a church family. Give us your peace and calm to do that. And Lord, I pray for our nation, for every government official who has to make tough decisions, for every worker worried about income, for every business owner wondering how they're going to pay the bills for the spirit of fear, for those who uh, have great influence that they would know wisdom. And I pray for your common grace to cover our nation, that we would step up as Christians, as the church, lavishing your grace and your love, acting selflessly, showing where our hope and our trust lie. And God, we pray through your supernatural power that you would shift the conversation and that as we walk through this time, that our whole nation would emerge on the other side of it, looking more like Jesus. We pray this in your holy name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us I don't know what the next few weeks looks like. I do know that if we're not able to meet on Sunday mornings, we will be right here live every Sunday morning continuing to do this. So you'll have somewhere to call home. I said it in my sermon and I'll say it again. We're a family. And so Redemption Church, let's be a family right now. If you're struggling financially through this or emotionally, spiritually, let us know. Hit the request a prayer button. We would love to pray with you. Let's be looking for ways to serve each other and to stay connected, uh, whether that's in small groups in, in person or via digital technology. If you're new to redemption, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Uh, You can click the Connect button at the top of your screen. Fill out the Connect card, and uh, we'll help you stay connected or get connected into our Redemption Church family. Uh, Make sure you keep checking your email and watching us on Facebook. We'll keep you posted with everything that's going on. Uh, There's also a button at the top that says Give. And even though we didn't have service today uh, at the movie theater, we did pay for it. In fact, we have had to pay for it for the whole month. I don't know if we're going to get that back or not. We'll let Cinemark decide that. Um, truth is, only about 3% of our expenses then um, really matter whether or not we have service or not. And so if you normally give uh, in person and you want to start giving online, that would be great. Click the button. Uh, you can give online there. Start your online giving pattern. If you're new to Redemption, uh, there's no pressure to participate in that. You're certainly welcome to if you want. More than ever, friends, we get to be the church that Jesus came to plant. And so let's do it. Let's love our neighbor, commit ourselves to prayer, and refortify right now as a church family. Make sure you reach out via email if you have any questions. Have a great week.